Good, good, good. I just want to take some time before uh, we get into our message today. I uh, just want to take some time, first off, just to, just to brag on our Lord a little bit. Uh, because this morning has been crazy, if you haven't seen already and figured this out. Technical difficulties and mics going in and out and slides not coming up and all of these different things. And I just want to praise the Lord for a couple of things. One, we have a team of folks here, not just in our praise and worship team, but even our, our tech crew and so on as well, uh, who, who apparently know what to do in these circumstances. And so I just want to praise the Lord for them and their hard work. We, we, don't, we don't need Geek Squad or anything like that. God's already given us a Geek Squad. No offense uh, to all of y'all there in the back. And so I just want to praise the Lord for y'all and your hard work in all of this. And then also, uh, there was a friend of mine who told me uh, something that has just kind of stuck in my head. He said, uh, he said worship should be measured by, by this. Uh, and, and this isn't meant to be as absolute as it sounds. There are many other ways to measure <laughs> how we worship the Lord. But he said, uh, when nothing is working, when all of your technology and all of that goes out the window, are you still able to worship God? So, so when the mics aren't working, when, when the sound isn't going through the speakers, when the PowerPoint isn't up, when, when the video feed isn't working and all of that, is God's praise still heard? In other words, are we so dependent on our technology that we can't worship God without it? And what I love just being here this morning and hearing the praises of my brothers and sisters here at TCC is that all of this could go. We, we could lose all of this. The lights could go out. We could have a power surge or something and everything, you know, go out and we're in pitch black and we would still sing to the Lord and we would still give him the praises that he deserves because our worship is not dependent on our stuff, but our worship rather is dependent on the spirit of God working in and through us and among us to magnify the name of the Lord whom we serve. And that is an awesome thing. And so I just want to commend you, uh, all of you, uh, especially those of you who are singing, all of y'all uh, for uh, joining in and worshiping the Lord and going, no, 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 that's okay. We don't need the slides. We got this. <laughs> Thank God for cell phones, which is technology. But, but, uh, but praise God for, <laughs> for, for all of you who just said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got this. Let's sing to the Lord and give him the praises that he's due. I praise God for what he's doing in your lives, uh, that you have a song to sing, and it was so good to hear your voices as we worshiped our Lord together through song. And so now, let's go to the scriptures and let's worship him through the hearing of his word. So let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you turn your Bibles there to 1 Peter chapter 1, I know for some of you, you were like, I was really hoping we would be in Romans, especially since the next passage in Romans is chapter 13, which deals with how we're supposed to respond to the government. Hold on on that one. Um, <laughs> give, give us a minute. We're, we're going to need some prayer uh, as, we, uh, as we go into that one. Uh, but we, what we wanted to do is we, we wanted to double down a bit on what we've been talking about in the last several weeks in Romans 12. Uh, in Romans 12, we've been talking about what it means to be renewed, uh, to have our minds renewed, what it means to be transformed 
what is this people that God is forming, this, this gospel culture that God is cultivating among us, having seen what he has done in the gospel in Romans 1 through 11, chapter 12 and following is saying, now this is how we live. This is the culture that we are to be because of all of that. But what we wanted to see in the next couple of weeks is that Paul's not alone in this. What he said in Romans 12 and following is actually echoed in other places in the scriptures as well. And so we wanted to see Peter, and we wanted to hear in this passage how Peter talks about this gospel culture that, uh, that the Lord is cultivating here among us. And so in, Ro- in uh, first, I almost said Romans, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning of verse 2, if you're there, say I'm there. All right, let's roll. 1 Peter 1, beginning of verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Here's the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You could also say love one another constantly, however you want to translate the word there, from a pure heart, since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For, and he quotes Isaiah 40 here, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. From your translations may say the pure milk of the word. Some other translations may say, for the pure, reasonable, or rational milk. How do we translate that word? We'll talk about that when we get there. That by it, you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now let's ask that God would give us insight, wisdom, that we may walk in a manner worthy of King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need your help today. We need your help. We can hear all of the good doctrine that you have given us in the scriptures. Even in a letter like Romans, hearing of our depravity, hearing of our condemnation, and yet knowing that through Christ we have justification. Through your Holy Spirit, we have sanctification. We have been joined together with Christ, a bond that will never be separated. That we have ultimate hope of glorification, where body and soul, we will be complete, unstained by sin, and totally free to worship you forever. We can hear all of these things. We can even hear about how you have so planned history that Jew and Gentile in the last day will be gathered together and will worship Jesus around his throne. We can hear all this doctrine and it won't mean 
anything to us if that doctrine, if this teaching from your scriptures don't change us into people who love. So Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do by your Holy Spirit. That you would drill these truths down into us. That, that the seed of your word would grow roots into the soil of our hearts and cultivate the fruit of love. The very fruit of your Holy Spirit. There are some who are here that are longing to be a part of a people, a community of love, a family of love. And they've looked everywhere and they have been a part of very manufactured, superficial cultures. And Father, I pray that they would find the church to be a real people of love. There are some who are here that do not believe in Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would do a miracle among us. That they would open their eyes and they would see him for who he really is. and They would see the people that he is gathering unto himself and who we are becoming. And I pray, Lord, that they would leave from here saying, I want this. Or even more importantly, I want him to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Lord, we ask you to do miraculous things. We expect big things from you because you're a big God who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So magnify your name among us today and may Christ be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as a toddler, Timmy has had the life. He has two loving parents who give him their full attention. He has his own room. He's got his own toys. All the birthday parties and all the Christmas presents are for him. Timmy is living the life. Of course, he's living the life until his little brother Bobby was born. Once Bobby was born, Timmy no longer had his parents' full attention. He no longer had his own room. He no longer had all the toys. And now he has to sit and watch these people sing happy birthday to other people. And in Christmas, all the toys don't have Timmy's name on it now. Now there's some that have Bobby's name. And he has to watch as these presents are being handed to him and to Bobby and not to him. And all of a sudden, Timmy is no longer living the life. And you can imagine what happens as Timmy grows and he sees this love and affection, people fawning all over Bobby. Now Timmy's getting a little grumpy, isn't he? And he starts taking the toys, right? That's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. Give it back. And all of that, right? And as parents, you understand, uh, as you watch Timmy, that this is the beginning of the rest of his life, isn't it? Timmy has to learn a new chapter of life. He has to develop a new category. He has to realize that he's not the only one in this world. He's not an only child. And as, a, as, as one who is no longer an only child, he's got to learn how to live with his brother 
He's got to learn how to praise his brother, how to appreciate his brother. He's got to learn to rejoice in the joys of another. He has to actually care about his new brother. And we realize that that's a good lesson for him because eventually Timmy's going to grow up and Timmy is going to be outside of the home. He's going to be in school. He's going to be on sports teams. He's, he's eventually going to be in a job and all of that where he is surrounded by a bunch of other people who don't revolve around Timmy. And Timmy has to learn as he grows and all of that that it's good for him not to be alone. It's good for him not to be the only child. It's good for him not to be the center of attention. In fact, he has to learn that life will be better for him when he finds himself as a part of the joys and the successes of other people. Yeah. I bring all this up because I suspect that some of us Christians experience the same thing when it comes to the family of God. You, by faith in Jesus, have been born again. Amen. And you are a part of this new family. You have a new dad. The father is your, is your father now. God the father is now the one who has adopted you into his family. And, and, and you are a son. You are a daughter of the most high God. That's amazing. And you've got a big brother. Jesus. Who, who came to the earth, who became like one of us, and he, and he laid down his life for us on the cross, taking our sin upon his shoulders and giving us his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see all of our screw-ups and mess-ups and sins and rebellion and all of that. No, he looks at us and he sees the perfect righteousness of his son, and he says, you are the one in whom I am well-pleased. Oh, what a big brother we have in Jesus. You have God as your father, you have Jesus as your big brother, you have the spirit who is in you, who is transforming you. Adoption into God's family is like adoption into human family in that you have a parent who chooses to set his love or her love and affection on you and they gather you into their family and they love you as if you were their own because from this day forward you are their own. But the reality of human adoption is your DNA doesn't change. You you still have the the, the DNA of your biological mom and dad. None of that transforms. None of that changes. You are still that person that you were before, even though your status has changed. But something remarkable happens when you are adopted into God's family. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins the process of renovating and transforming you from the inside out so that you actually become someone that you weren't before. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. So not only are you the, the uh, are you a, a, having status in terms of being adopted into the family of God, you actually become like Jesus in the process so that when you stand before him in the end, you will be indeed holy and blameless just as the Spirit promised. That's awesome. Here's the problem, though. You can think, believing all of that, 
you can think that you are, outside of Jesus, an only child. Maybe that's how you heard the gospel. You come and you give a, uh, a personal uh, 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 declaration, profession of faith. You, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. You can walk with God yourself. You can, you can pray a prayer, you can walk an aisle, you can do however you heard the gospel growing up. And, and you can think that it's all about your personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, you can be in a room like this and still be thinking about your personal relationship with Jesus. How do I obey Jesus? How do I walk with him? Oh my goodness, his love for me. This is amazing what God has done for me, right? And you can go through all of life walking with Jesus, just thinking it's you and God, and you're oblivious to everybody else. You can do that. Some of you may be doing that. <laughs> and that's wonderful that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's, I praise God for folks uh, who have gone before us, like a Billy Graham or others, who called for people to personally respond to the gospel. That's wonderful and appropriate, but it's incomplete. You have been adopted into the family of God, but you were not adopted into the family of God alone. Surprise! You've got siblings. You're looking at us. <laughs> look around. Look around. Go ahead. Look around. Look around. Yeah. All of us, we're going to be together forever. <laughs> it's so cool. This is us. We are the family of God. And by the way, it's not limited to us. You go outside of these, of these walls and we go and we can partner with others and so on. We find brothers and sisters all over the place. We're all over the place. We're family. We're family. You can be so focused on your own personal relationship to the Lord that you completely uh, neglect and ultimately forget that you have a relationship to all of us too. Yes, you are a son and a daughter of, a most, of the Most High God. Amen. You are also a brother and a sister. And the question that we have here is, are you living like it? Or are you still trying to convince yourself that you're an only child? Peter here is talking to believers that have been scattered all over what is now modern-day Turkey. You go over into the Middle East, kind of the Mediterranean area, you find the country of Turkey, and if you look at chapter 1, at the, at the, uh, Peter's introduction in there, he mentions these cities. Uh, most, if not all, of those cities are still around to this day. They still exist. You can travel to uh, these places. Galatia being a region there in, uh, in the place of Turkey. It wasn't a city, but it was actually a region. Think of like we would say Wake County. That was Galatia, okay? And, uh, and, and so all of these uh, uh, Christians have been scattered all over the place. There's persecution. We don't think that things have gotten as bad as they ultimately would be for the people uh, of God as they're living in Roman, uh, under the Roman Empire, under Nero. But we, but we think, and Peter seems to talk, like he can tell that the heat's starting to turn up. All right? 
They haven't gotten to the point like Nero would do where they're throwing the, the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum, much to the entertainment of everybody else in, in Rome. Think of like MMA today. I believe there was an MMA fight last night and, and so on. They would do that uh, for entertainment. They would sit and they would watch as these uh, prisoners, uh, and in this case Christian prisoners, would go all around the place in the Colosseum trying to save themselves from the bears and from the lions and so on that were also there chasing them unchained. And they would, the people would cheer as they would be mauled right there in front of their eyes. That's coming. Uh, uh, or Nero, with, uh, where he would have dinner parties and he would take imprisoned Christians and he would hang them up on posts, douse them with oil and light them up and use them as the lighting for his dinner parties. Yeah, things like that are coming up for these Christians. And Peter realizes that as it's getting more and more tense for the Christians in this persecuted area and in this persecuted season, he wants to remind them that they are not only childs, if you will, only children, but rather they are a part of a big family. They have responsibilities to care for one another. They have responsibilities to watch over one another. Because in this moment where you feel so alone, it's good to know that you've got brothers and sisters around who are standing side by side with you and who are not going to let you go because we are a part of a family and children of a father who will never let us go. This is good news. So what does he say to these people? As, they are reminding, as he's reminding them that they are a part of this grand family here. And what does he say to us as we look at this passage ourselves? Well, two things I think that he says here. The first thing that he says for us, the first command that he gives us, is found in verse 22, right at the end. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In other words, if we are going to live as family, brothers and sisters, we must love our siblings dearly. We must love our siblings dearly. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There's this sense of, of energy that's there, this sense of urgency that's here. We, we don't just go through the motions, but we actually, legitimately, genuinely care for one another. That's what he means there when he says love one another earnestly and we do so without uh, ulterior motives or or anything like that but rather we do so with a pure heart love one another earnestly from a pure heart well there are two reasons why we should love this way uh, first as we see at the beginning of verse 22 your purity requires this your purity requires this you see that in verse 22 he says having purified your by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You see that? So having purified our souls, now that may sound weird because you go, wait a second, I, I purified my soul? We purified our souls? That, that doesn't make any sense. Well, well, hold on, because Peter is actually saying it this way for a reason. What he means by this in terms of us purifying our souls is he is actually found in the next passage or the next uh, phrase when he says, by your obedience to the truth. If you read First Peter, one of the things that you find is that obedience to the truth is a technical phrase for Peter, meaning our obedient response to the gospel. 
okay? He's not talking about our regular everyday obedience, but rather our obedient trust in the gospel, our obedient response to the gospel. Maybe I need to put the car in park for just a little bit. The gospel is an announcement of news. There may be some here who aren't familiar with this language. The gospel is an announcement of good news. We've got good news for you. That good news is though you have made a mess of your life. You say, I haven't made a mess of my life. My life's actually going pretty good. Yeah, that's cool. You still have made a mess of your life. Because it's not judged by economic standards. It's not judged by relational standards or anything like that. It's judged by God's standards. And in the presence of an awesomely holy God, you have completely failed. You have sinned against our Lord. You have rebelled against his command. And the result of that, as Paul would say in Romans 6, the wages of that sin is death. You say, where's the good news? It's coming. Here's the good news. God sent his son, who was perfectly spotless, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and his son, Jesus, took your place and took your punishment as your substitute. And because he died on the cross, uh, uh, satisfying God's wrath for sin, you don't have to continue to live life the way that you've lived your life. You can now turn from your sin, turn from your rebellion against God, and turn towards him through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you call on the name of our Lord, Romans 10, 13 says, you will be saved. He will not turn you away. He won't throw your record in front of you. He won't, like a dog, kind of push your nose into your mess and say, look at what you did. That's not what he does. Rather, he says, your sins are forgiven. Come on here, son. Come on over here daughter let me love on you like I want to love on you forever good news the gospel is an announcement of good news Jesus died Jesus rose from the dead the curse of sin and death is done away with in the person and work of Jesus Christ we have good news but here's the thing that good news demands a response you catch that That good news demands a response, namely, turn from your sin, turn from the wrong direction that you're going in, and turn towards Jesus and say, I give you my life, I give you my all, Lord, I am yours, I cannot do this without you, I don't know what I'm doing, you know what you're doing, I trust in you, Lord, to change me and to transform me. When you obey the truth, Peter says, You purified your soul. Not that you did the purifying work, but rather the gospel does the purifying work. Do you get what's going on here? Your soul has been purified by virtue of your obedient response to the truth of the gospel. Now, note, he doesn't end there. That's a means to an end. You you obey or you purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. In other words, the end of your obedient response to the gospel is love. What was I saved from? Well, the scriptures say that the two greatest commandments, our Lord Jesus tells us, is first, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and second, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets are summed up in these two great commandments. 
which means all of the sin that I've committed in my lifetime can fall in one of these or both of these categories. Either I failed to love the Lord supremely or I failed to love other people, which means then that my salvation should change that so that I am now a person who loves. Do you see what's going on? The, 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 the gospel frees me from my lovelessness or my, my wrong, distorted, and twisted love to now loving people properly, or as he says here, sincerely, unhypocritically, as we saw in Romans 12. We have a sincere love for, uh, for one another. But notice he says here who the one another is, a sincere brotherly love, a sincere love for the brothers and sisters, for this family of God. You were purified for this. So therefore, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Do you see love as the end of your salvation? Do you see love as the aim? Love as the goal? This is the person that God wants me to be. So he sent his son to accomplish that in me. And he gives me his Holy Spirit to cultivate this in me. Do you have an end game for your salvation? Is your end game just that you would be a theologically sound stud, right? I, I know all of systematic theology. I know all the doctrines. I memorized TCC's statement of faith. You know, even the longer elder affirmation. I, I did it all. I even got the verses memorized. Look at how wonderful I am. Should Jeopardy ever call me up? I may not get the Shakespeare category, but you better believe I'll get the Bible category, right? Is that what your salvation is for? Just so you would be a theologically sound, wonderful Christian who knows all the right answers to all the questions, but whose life never actually changes? Peter says here that the aim of your purification is love. Our purity requires this. But not only that, Notice our pedigree requires that. Because in verse 23, he says, again, uh, at the end of verse 22, the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Since you have been born again. Love because you've been born again. Love because you've been born again. Okay, well, what's the big deal about that? How does being born again make me a person who loves? Well, keep on going. He says that you've been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You were born to parents, right? How many of you were born to parents? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Uh, and, and as you were born, uh, you were born from mom and dad who have the same problem as their mom and dad, who have the same problem as their mom and dad, and going all the way up until you get to Eden. And what is that problem? Death. You were born to parents who will die. Some of you, your parents have died. And we feel that. And it's a reminder to us. Annie's dad, a couple of years ago, just had a, a crazy series of strokes. And it was it was it was awful just kind of seeing you know how this was affecting him and everything praise god he's doing much much better now in fact they thought that uh that he you know as strong as the strokes were that he wasn't going to make it 
through it all. How, that's how strong they were and how much of an impact they were. But he's doing fine, you know, and he, he's uh, up and running and everything. And it wasn't as debilitating as they were uh, thinking that it would be for him. Praise the Lord for that. But you better believe that was a reminder to us that there's going to come a day where he will breathe his last. And being a child of our parents, we ought to be reminded that this seed that made us is perishable seed. We're going to die too. And those of us who have had kids, we passed it on to our kids. And and now they are mortal beings who are going to one day die as well. This is us. This is who we are. But the scriptures say that you were born again. And this new birth is not from a perishable seed, but from an imperishable seed. You see, you were born into a family, biologically, of mortal beings. But you are born again into the family of an immortal God. Y'all are, y'all are quiet this morning, huh? I'm going to have to do all the praise myself if I see here. Um, you were born to an immortal God, a God who cannot die, a God who will never die. And you were, you were born into his family. What is the seed that produced you, this born again you? Notice he says it is imperishable seed, and he says through the living and abiding word of God. When the Lord spoke the words of the gospel, as we're going to see later on, verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Literally, this is the word that was gospeled to you. I wish we had a verb for gospel. The the Greek has a verb for gospel. It was gospeled to you. Let's just coin it right here. Brand new day. On this day, there is a new word to our dictionary, and it's gospeled, the verb. There we go. So you have this this, this gospel, God spoke this to you, and when he spoke it to you, you came alive. You were born again. All of a sudden, your eyes are open. You see your your father, and, and, and you go, as it says in Romans 8, the spirit cries in us. Abba, Father, you you see God not as this vindictive, angry tyrant, but you see him as a loving father who says with open arms, come on home into my family. You, You were birthed again with this. This is the living and abiding word of God, meaning this, the gospel that saved you is a gospel with no expiration date. It is a gospel that cannot perish. It is a gospel that cannot fail. It's a gospel that does not run out of time. The hope that we have in the gospel is a hope that will last forever. And this is the seed that rebirths us. A couple implications from that. One, the seed that birthed me, rebirthed me, rebirths you. We've got the same dad. If our Lord were to descend, or perhaps in this case condescend, to the Maury Povich show, <laughs> he would sit there as Almighty God on that chair, and Maury would come back and he would say, Lord, we have the results from your paternity test. And Lord, it seems you are the father. Of all of us, <laughs> right? 
All of us are your sons and daughters. All of us share this same seed. No one else on earth apart from those who are children of God can say that. Think about that. Another thing that you recognize in this is that if this is the case, then the love that God is producing in us is an everlasting love because the seed that rebirthed us is an everlasting seed. You see? In other words, we are to be like the one who has rebirthed us. And if he is one of everlasting love, then you are people of everlasting love. Notice, you are that. You are that. That's what this new nature in you does. It loves And so we are people who love because we have been rebirthed by the God who loves. And as his love is eternal, our love is eternal as well. Question, when you see your brothers and sisters, do you see them as family? Do you love as family? Do we care as family? Or do you act like there's just a matter of time before we can go back to doing normal stuff? Is this pretend for us? Is this make-believe for us? We're just kind of doing our song and dance, right? We gather together and we sing, I am who you say I am. And we have a wonderful time and we hear the word and we go, oh, you know, we do our little Christian song and dance, right? Bless your brother, bless your sister. All right, and then you get back into the car, take the mask off and be the real you, which is nothing like this. Is that what Christianity is? It's just kind of this holy cosplay? Or are we a part of an actual family? Birthed by an actual God who has made us actual brothers and sisters who actually live together and will be together forever in his kingdom and who have an actual inheritance that we all will share. And we are actually being cultivated and and, and transformed by the same Spirit to be His people forever. If that is real to you, then love is not a peripheral responsibility for us. Love is right at the center. Because God is making us family. So for some of you, it's going to need to get some working. That's why Paul would say in chapter 12 of Romans that you are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've You've got to keep rehearsing this over and over again in your head, and you've got to keep saying, this is who we are, this is who we are, this is who we are. That person, you know, he said something that was, you know, a little off, offhand and everything, and I, I kind of took offense to it and all of this, but, but, but I'm committed to that person because that person's my brother. And I'm going to try to figure out and all of that because that's what we do because we're family you know I'm, there's this person over here who, who who seems to be dealing with some issues and, and and all of that and now all of a sudden those issues have become our issues we share these things and bear one another's burdens because we're family it's not just it's not that i look at that person over there and i just go man i'm glad i'm not that person we're family And as family, we walk together, and we share together, and we work through these things together. That's what family does. That's who family is. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. 
the boys, all, all four of the kids, they came up to me and, and they were talking about the grades that they had gotten, you know, on, on some early quizzes and everything. And they're all excited, you know, and, and it's, it's actually hilarious to me because I know as a teacher that, you know, you get the easy stuff first. And, uh, and so they're like, man, we're doing great. This is amazing. This school year is going to be so easy. And I'm just sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, keep on saying that to yourself. I'm just waiting until, you know, like November. We're like, I can't do it. Um, but, but right now they're all happy and all of this. And here's the thing. When, when they say that, you know, you don't have one that goes, so? Maybe some families are like that, but they didn't do that. They didn't, so? No, this person got an A and they're like, cool. All right, you know, high five, you know, and all that. Yeah, hey, guess what? I got, I got a good grade on this one too. Oh, okay, cool. You know, that's what we do. That's, that's family. You come over and you say, hey, we've been praying all this time for God to provide for us, write a home for us, you know, and so on. And guess what? In this economy, in this real estate market, with prices all over the place and everything, God provided a home for us. And if you have nothing in you to go, yeah, way to go. Praise God. Go ahead, Lord, or anything like that, then, then, then there's something that needs to be cultivated. Because that joy was for you to share. Because that's a brother and sister that have been praying to your God, your Father, our Father. And if they, God has answered their prayer, something in you should just bubble up and go, yeah, praise the Lord. You see? Why? Because we're family. Because we're family. And in much the same way, when someone is going through sorrow, years and years praying for a child, and, and God has yet to answer that prayer, and, and, and so on, there's something in your heart that breaks when you hear that, or, or, or someone lost a job, or, or someone is just battling with sin, and they're starting to, to, to feel the despair of wondering, how are we ever going to get over this? How are we ever going to get through this? And so on. And there's something in your heart that breaks, that you go, let me go to bat for them. Let me pray with them, and pray for them, and just commit to, 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 to uh, uh, going to the Lord and interceding on their behalf, and so on. Why? Because we're family. We share our joys and we share our sorrows. That's what we do. That's what the Father has cultivated in us. You say, I'm not there yet. Well, that's why I love this next passage here. The next paragraph. Because the next paragraph, I think, is telling us how we get there. And and then also how we stay there. Look what he says. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. First thing that he tells us is that that we got to put away what deforms us. we got to put away what deforms us. Malice. When you're just sitting there going, oh, I can't wait until something bad happens to that person. That's malice. And, and, And he says, put that away. Stop it. Okay? This, this, I can't, I can't wait for some, like, like the, like the wily e. coyote that's hoping for the anvil to fall on the roadrunner. You know, you're, you're just that person. You know, you've got a lifetime subscri- uh, subscription to Acme, and 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 you're just waiting for something bad to happen. To that, put that away. That's not how Christians are. That's not in this family. Deceit, he says. You got this, this con artist mentality where you're just thinking, how can I, how can I pull the rug over this person? How can I, how can I twist my, my words so that this person thinks that I'm better than I actually am or, or thinks that they're worse than they actually are or whatever? How can I just, uh, this spirit of lying and deception and all that, 
put that away. Hypocrisy. The fake who pretends to care, but, but his care is shallow and insincere and all that. Put that away. No hypocrisy among us. If malice is wishing evil on another, envy is that feeling that you get when you were hoping that something bad happened to them, but instead something good happened to them. And you're over there going, well, how come it happened to them and it didn't happen to me? That, that ain't right. Man, I wish that would happen to me. Put that away. It's not the way Christians act. It's not the way this family acts. And then he says, slander. Verbally abusive speech, gossip, defamation, libel, character assassination. All of these things that are so common in unchristian families. All these things that are common in the world, but in God's family, put it away. It's not the way we talk. It's not the way we act with one another. Put away the things that deform us. And instead, he says in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. I think if we're going to love our siblings dearly, then we're going to have to long for sustenance desperately. Long for sustenance desperately. What is this milk? Well, he gives this uh, uh, description here. He says it's pure, which interestingly, the word pure, there is adalon, the negation adalon. Dalon is the word for deceit in verse 1. Put away all malice and all deceit. So it's this undeceitful <laughs> is the word there. It's, it's undiluted. It's, it's uncontaminated. It's, it's, it's the real deal. It's the real thing. This, this milk is pure. He also says that this milk is spiritual, What's the word for that? As I said before, some people say uh, the milk of the word. They translate it as of the word, or they translate it spiritual here, or some say rational. The word there is logicon. It's the same word that we had in Romans 12 when Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our logicon service, our, our reasonable King says our reasonable service our rational service this 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 is something that's dealing with our mental faculties here this milk is milk that is pure undeceitful and it has this sense of rationale it has the sense of reason here it's it's the right way to think you could say it that way how about this if verse one is what deforms us it ultimately is a deformity of our minds because what happens is, with all of those things in verse 1, what we're saying to ourselves is, that guy, that gal there is not family. And if they're not family, then I can treat them any way I want. Now, first off, that's unbiblical. But it's especially unbiblical when you think about your brother and sister in Christ as someone who is not a brother and sister in Christ, and therefore justifies you treating them harshly. No. No. Rather, take in this milk. And with this milk, you learn how to think rightly about one another and how to think rightly about yourself. And you don't deal deceitfully with one another. This milk tells you the truth about who you are and tells you the truth about who we are. So what is this milk? Well, he says in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted, quoting Psalm 34, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is the milk? The milk is the learning from Jesus what it's like to live as he lives. 
That's what it is. I learn from Jesus what it means to love. I learn from Jesus what it means to lay my life down. I learn from Jesus what it means to sacrifice. I learn from Jesus what it means to be generous. I learn from Jesus what it means to speak blessing to one another and wisdom to one another and kindness to one another and not hatred and, 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 and spewing anger and all that. That's not how I speak because that's not how Jesus speaks. You are sitting under the, 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 the teaching and the tutelage of Jesus and you are saying, teach me, Lord, how I should live my life. Teach me, Lord, how I should love my brothers and my sisters. Lord, I want to learn from you. And if you've already tasted from his work on the cross and from his resurrection that he is good, if you've already tasted a bit of his love when he laid his life down and said, you have brought nothing to the table, I bring everything to the table for your salvation. When you have tasted something of his goodness, when you've seen his love and how he says, I will take the wrath of my father and I will put it on myself so that you get nothing but his grace from now into eternity. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you should say to him, Lord, I've seen a little bit of how you've lived your life and I see how you walk and everything and I just want to learn from you how to walk in this way because everything in me wants to please my father and if that's how it is with him then that's how it should be with you you are not an only child Jesus who literally is the only child <laughs> from all of eternity said I am not going to stay in this way I want brothers and sisters to come and be a part of this family. And so he laid down his life to open up the possibility that brothers and sisters like you and like me could be welcomed into this family. And by his grace, he draws us all into himself so that he would not live all of eternity as an only child, but he would have brothers and sisters from every tribe and nation and language gathering together into this family, living together, one another loving and caring and serving just as he desired it to be. Jesus is good. He was an only child. But because of his love, he welcomes us in that we too would be children of God. So, let's love our siblings dearly. Because we actually are brothers and sisters in the family of God. And let's long for this sustenance desperately, like a newborn child screaming, ah! which is our translated, feed me! may we also say, Lord, feed me, teach me. I want to learn from you how to be just like you, a good brother, a good sister, loving like family, because we are, by God's grace, family. You are not an only child, and that's good. So let's learn to love. Let's learn to walk following our Lord Jesus. And let's be a witness to our neighbors and to the nations that there's a new community of people who are not about themselves, but are fully about our Lord. And because of that, we love like family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, would you indeed work in us and among us? You have, by your Son, already made us sons and daughters. 
if we are sons and daughters in your family, with you as our Father, then we are by grace brothers and sisters as well. Lord, we live in a culture that fights hard against this. Discipling us to think of ourselves as individuals who answer to nobody. And that is not what you are doing through the gospel. Rather, you are making us brothers and sisters in a family who love for one another, who care for one another, who are responsible to one another, and committed to one another's growth. So may we love one another dearly as siblings. May we long for this sustenance that is that you give to us, shaping us to become more like Jesus. May we long for it desperately. For we can only love as Jesus loves with the grace that you provide. Right now, there may be some of you here who have to confess to the Lord that you have not lived like this in your local church. You have not seen the people around you as brothers and sisters. You have not loved them in this way. The good news is our God is a God of great grace. And if you confess that to Him and seek the help of His Holy Spirit, He will cultivate you to be a brother or sister who loves with the love of Christ. So right now where you are, just go to him and, and confess it. And say, Lord, I haven't loved this way, but I want to love this way. I want to love like I've been loved by my Savior. Please, Lord, make it so. There may be some of you who are here and you don't love this way because you have yet to become a part of God's family. as we have said here and as we've even sung and prayed there is room at the table there's room in the family come to him trust Jesus as your one and only savior you will have a seat at his table as a son and a daughter right where you are call out call out God has spoken through his word. He is a good father and he has loved us well. So may we respond to what he has spoken with the very love of Jesus.